guys. This is Jill and welcome back to the Sports Ethos Kings podcast. So today's guest, you probably, if you're on Twitter, you would know him as Will Z Stats, but we have Will Zimmerly here. And um, Will, I will let you kind of get started with uh, anything you want to share at the beginning, how you kind of got started on being interested in stats, where people can find you this year, and then we'll we'll get into the nitty gritty. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jill. And thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm on mostly Twitter and um, really just trying to dig into some stats that aren't readily available to everyone. So I like to do a little bit of digging and find some interesting stuff that you might not see anywhere else. Other than on Twitter, you can find me starting to write articles for ESPN1320.net. and just trying to kind of expand my repertoire and get into the writing field a little. And it's been an interesting foray into that. I've never really written in that style, but uh, I found I was pretty much doing almost preview tweets last year. So I figured I might as well expand and see about doing some preview articles and kind of anything that jumps out during the season. In terms of how I got started, it actually all started with Willie Cauley-Stein believe it or not. When he was a restricted free agent, I wanted to try and see how much money he would get and the odds of him staying with the Kings. So I did some digging into free agents, the percent of uh, free agents that go to different teams, and it was about 50% are on the move. Sent that over to Damien Barling, who at the time was doing his podcast uh, before he hopped on with ESPN 1320 and just kind of cultivated that relationship with him and have slowly grown the stats page on Twitter into what it is now. That is awesome. Yeah, um, I have to say, I first saw, was the free throw article the first one you put up for 1320 or was did I miss one before that? There were a few before that. There I were? think the first okay. one was the offensive and defensive rating okay. uh, combination okay. ranks. And then there's another really interesting one about Fox's off-ball movement and his potential to be just an elite off-ball player in the NBA. Okay, so if we don't hit on any of those, everybody make sure they go they go check that out. I know at least, was it right before the season started? I think it was after the first three preseason games, you did the free throw article. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's interesting, especially with what's going on now. And you highlighted how during, I believe it was during preseason, they were shooting, was it around 66, 68%? Yeah, 65. So okay. So, geez, I gave <laughs> I them know. a little bit more. Um, but if you want to go into it, you had some interesting points about how, it could get better, but trying to temper some, yeah, temper yeah. some expectations. So what I did for that article was went and found all of the current Kings players, their free throw attempts and made free throws from last year, as well as in their careers. So really a lot of what I try and do is find trends. Um, I don't do much predictive work. That's not really the type of stats that I try and get into, but Uh, For this, I mean, they're all, there's numbers out there so we can see what they've done. So I compiled the whole Kings roster of free throws from last year. So together they shot uh, 2,389 free throws and made 1,842 really big numbers. Uh, 
end result, 77% on various different teams and in college. So if they were to do exactly what they did last year, then they would be a 77% free throw shooting team, which is about middle of the pack. Average. Yeah. yeah. Which again, like you always say, <laughs> the average. that's yeah. all we want. Um, well, and so, right. And so, and so what are they through the first three games? Um, I, I know it's not, I know second. it's not that much, much of a difference, but it goes back to right. What we were saying it's, I think they're still in the 60s. So it's pretty close to what they were shooting um, and preseason. But again, it just goes back to the B average, their average, mm-hmm. we'll get into the rest of the stats, but it, Seemingly, they're pretty around average in everything but free throws. And when you've lost three games by 14 points, shooting, you know, 60 something percent from the free throw line, that could be the difference at the end of the day. You're getting, as we like to say, you're getting free throws, free shots, free points um, with the clock stopped. And so when you're playing these kind of caliber of teams, that becomes much more. Um, I would say critical, like your margin of error is much smaller when you're playing these kind of teams versus, you know, if you're playing someone of the caliber of the Kings, essentially on the other side. And what I like that you mentioned that you kind of look more for trends rather than predictive. And I, and I, I like that because with the Kings, it's hard to predict anything. We like to say we, we know, or we think we know, and it usually ends up being the opposite of what we, you know, assume. And so with them, like all you can really go by is their trend. Like what have they done previously or, you know, any kind of winning streak, losing streak, like trending, which way, what, what do they do when they're doing, you know, when they're winning games, what do they do when they're losing games? And then you can try and kind of determine um, trends from there, or at least, you know, hit these benchmarks, right. That, that could lead to um, a winner, a win or a loss. So definitely go check out that free throw article. If you have not already on um, ESPN 1320, but again, you, you highlighted greatly what we're seeing now. Yes, they are below of what they were shooting, but it's also not like these are 90% shooters who are all of a sudden shooting um, 60%, if if that if that makes sense. There are some, you know, 80, 90% shooters, but there's also um, plenty that are on the back end. And even like what, do you know off the top of what Harrison was, what his percentage and what he's doing now? Because he seems like another one where he was a higher percentage, but he's missing, well, just kind of like everything else right now. Um, he's not he's not hitting his average. Yeah, Harrison's the weird one. Um, I mean, Barnes, he's a career um, 80% free throw shooter. And so far this year, he's at 53.8. So it... Wow. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. I don't, it's just such a dramatic drop off. Drop. And age uh, is not going to make you drop off shooting free throws. Like, I mean, I can see your much. quickness and other things, but, um, and whether, so the, whether that's a confidence thing, I don't know, but it was nice. We saw um, at the end of practice today, it looked like they were bringing out even the extra baskets that they had, um, you know, that you can roll out on the side. And so you saw like, two or three people to literally every basket so people could get as many shots up as they can. Um, But hopefully, like, as you said, that's a trend. Hopefully we will see trending up. And again, just being at that average 
we're seeing could make a difference for this team um, when it comes to free throws. Something else that I saw you put up, I believe it was today. Um, you mentioned the uh, Kevin Herter's numbers and the importance of him on the court. And so if you want to kind of share what you found um, and we'll talk through that a little bit. Yeah. So I think everyone knows how on fire Herter's been to start the season. He's just come out scorching from three, but what's impressed me about him is just his overall game has been so much better than I expected it to be. And that's really showing in the kind of more advanced numbers. So this morning I was looking at his on off uh, ratings. So for offensive rating, when he's on the court, the Kings have a 120.9 when he's off the court, 88.4. So it's a 32.5 difference. That is huge. Yeah. And then defensive rating, I was really surprised this is the one that kind of surprised me the most is on the court he's 109 off the court they're 121 uh, for an 11 12 point difference um so his net rating is a plus 44 so essentially for those that aren't that familiar with the stat that's a huge plus number the closest on the kings not counting metu with the kind of small sample size is fox with 8.5 so from the numbers, Herter's been arguably the most important player for the Kings to start the season. Yeah. And and like you said, for anyone that might not be familiar, what it shows you is that he's bringing it on both sides of the ball. Right. He's not. Yes, we know he's not perfect on defense. Every everyone's going to have missed assignments, miss like unless you're Giannis, maybe like no one's going to be out there um, stopping everything. But. Also, that 109 number is better than the 114 that they're doing as a team. And I know we don't really like to look at that as an individual stat. But to me, that's showing when, again, when he's on the court um, offensively and defensively, um, he's making your team better on both sides of the ball. And for the Kings, they haven't had many players that are actually pluses on both sides of the ball. Like that's, it's pretty rare. It's always, we'll sacrifice this side to get this, you know, um, which we're kind of seeing with like Casey, uh, Casey Ocala right now. And then we're seeing it in Barnes. I don't know if you have barn splits right now, but if you do, you'd be able to see the difference of what um, Kevin's bringing you right now compared to a guy like Barnes on both sides. I don't have him right in front of me, but I was looking at it earlier. His net rating is about an, I think negative 22.5. So it just kind of shows. So you had what plus 44 mm -hmm. on Kevin and a minus 20 20 something, 22, 24. Yeah, that's 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 pretty glaring. Yeah. Um, Okay. And then do you happen to have uh, Keegan Murray's numbers? I know we've only seen two games so far, but um, to me, it seems pretty glaring that he's you know, affecting the game on both sides of the ball. And you might be able to see something with youth and people don't really know how to go against Keegan compared to maybe Barnes's age quickness people know or whatever's going on with Barnes. But you, again, I think if you give those numbers, you can probably see a pretty big difference between those two as well. Yeah. So Keegan's third on the team for net rating at 7.1. So he's making I mean, we can see it, a huge impact. So for me, I love when a stat matches the eye test um, and it's just, he's out there and making an impact pretty much everywhere. Again, he's 
both on offense and defense. I've been really pleasantly surprised with this defense that chase down uh, the sorry not chase down, but the two on one block that he had the other night. I had no idea. It kept he him had in the game. It gave them a chance oh. at the end too. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know amazing. he was that quick. Like I, he, the way he's moving against this kind of talent, he's knocking ev- like anyone that thought at least so far, right. Um, that he was kind of right. Slow, slow footed, like mm-hmm. that, that was one of the big worries of him, at least from the national perspective of was his quickness, lateral quickness of being able to, to go against, um, wings but we're also seeing him go against like paul george like two through five possibly i know at least two through four i'm not sure if he's actually gone on fives yet but um even brown has mentioned that that he's like i don't know what he is he's just a really good basketball player and i'm finding that i can kind of put him in every scenario possible and he's exceeding any expectation that any of us had which when's just, the last time we had a young wing, a wing in general, but uh, let alone a young player that's exceeded what even our expectations were. And some pretty high expectations at that. Yeah. He just seems so fundamentally sound. Uh, and that's transferred over on offense. He just looks so smooth. But on defense, is, he swivels his hips. He moves his feet well. He doesn't bite on fakes. He just plays the game right. And it is just so nice to watch from such a young player. Yeah. One, one quote that I did pick up from him that I want to say it might've been after his first game that he said he likes to just make the game simple and that, that he knows so many players go out there and they try and do too much or go too fast, you know, whether it be adrenaline excitement, they want to prove themselves. He said that his motto is, making the game as simple as possible for himself and for everybody else around him. And that's, that's what you're seeing. He's, he does the little things. He's doesn't seem to try and do anything outside of, of what he can do. Um, But I thought that was really smart from a young player. Like, no, I'm just making the game simple. Like it's, I go out there. I, I put the ball in the basket. Like I, I go where I'm supposed to go. Um, I don't play outside myself. I play within a team atmosphere and you can see kind of the, the excitement from the players around him too, after he does something, you know, they make sure to run over and, and give him the high five or the butt slap or like, you know, yes. Uh, but it just seems like there's always smiles out there when he's, you know, doing something or involved that it's like, we got one, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. we know we got one. Yeah. And I love that quote about being simple and something that kind of backs that up is so he shot 16 threes so far in the two games 15 of them were catch and shoot threes so he literally the one of to me the best shots a catch and shoot three uh, he is just taking that simple thing if he doesn't have an open shot he doesn't take it uh, but yeah i love the excitement around him everyone else trying to hype him up and him just with that classic Keegan face now. Uh, right. Him <laughs> him and Herder, you know, we were talking about, they seem to move really well around the court and be able to find those openings, mm-hmm. like to get their shots. Like they're not just standing in a corner. They're not stagnant. Like they see they in the half court, they seem to move around really well and be able to 
at least so far read the defense and know how to find um, those openings to get themselves right. Those easy shots. I make the game simple. Like I, I find my spots, I get there um, and I make them. <laughs> yeah. They relocate so well and just a little sidestep, catch the defender sleeping just the slightest for two shooters of that caliber. That's all they really need. And so another thing too, that we've seen through the three games and something that we all asked for, right. Based on previous starts of seasons was that Fox couldn't have a slow start. We needed star Fox. Um, do you have any of his numbers um, up with you right now, at least um, and are, what are we seeing trending or maybe anything different than what he's done previously that you might notice that he's doing now that could be helping him. Um, is he getting to the paint more? I know he's hitting his threes more. That makes a difference. And so you might have people lagging off a little bit when it comes to, to paint touches. So, yeah, he's, I think getting shoot in the restricted area, he's shooting, I think 3.7 uh, field goals per game, which is a little low for him. But I mean, he's making them at an 81% clip. So when he gets in the rim, he's almost automatic. It's just, he's so fast and shifty and has that extreme finishing capability. But something that I'm trying to keep an eye on this year and is what one of the main focuses of the off ball article that I wrote about him was his number of assisted baskets in his career. He's done pretty much everything on his own in terms of getting a shot. I think he last year was sitting around 25% of his field goals were unassisted. 25% were assisted. So pretty much everything was his own self-shot creation, which he's so good at. But now that he has Fox and the surrounded shooters around him, and even Herder, I've been impressed with his playmaking abilities. Um, he's up to 36.8% assisted field goals. In preseason, it was about 50-50. And just seeing him able to work less for his shot, um, I think is going to be a huge thing. And I'm glad to see that number kind of start to climb at the beginning of this year because he's so fast and dynamic that he has that capability to kind yep. of let others do some work for him. Yeah, well said. And then I don't know if you saw the Anthony Slater article today from The Athletic. And for anyone out there that didn't see it, um, there was a part mentioned too where we're talking Fox offense, but on defense and how, you know, that Brown is said, I know what you can do on offense, but I, I know what you can also do on defense, even if you haven't been showing it. And there was a part where um, they mentioned two specific plays and it was, I don't know if it was at the beginning of the game or, you know, in the first half, at least. Um, there was a a part where a player got around um KZ or at least he forced him into an area and Holmes um didn't get there quick enough and i think it might have been Paul George so i mean i under, you know understandable that that Holmes probably wouldn't get there quick enough um but that uh, yes, that's who it was because Fox was guarding Luke Kennard in the corner. And for anyone that doesn't know Luke's numbers, he's has one of the best three point shots in the league. And so they were saying that Fox was slow to help the helper um, to get under the basket to try and block or at least 
get in the way of of Paul George, who was driving. And they were saying that Keegan Murray um, moved behind Fox, where he actually moved to go get Luke Kennard so that if Fox actually got up, you know, the rotations would have worked. And because Fox didn't get there quick enough, um, I think it ended up being a basket. But they were saying that Coach Brown did not yell at KZ. He did not yell at Holmes. He yelled at Fox, or at least he got on Fox, you know, and said like, and essentially said that was on you. Um, you did not help the helper. Keegan, you know, did his job behind you. It would have been fine. You got to get there. I know you can get there. Then they made a reference to at the end of the game, same play. Fox gets there. And I think it was Powell at that time. Fox moves over. Fox blocks the shot and it gave them an opportunity to come back. And so they were still in the game at an end of a game situation. And coach Brown said, that's the difference of being able to be on the court at the end of the game, knowing that you can, you can make those rotations. You can make those end of game stops that you're capable of it. And so I loved that. Like, and to me, I'm totally fine with, with coach Brown going at him compared to anyone else because it's Anthony said Hazy's on a you know on a minimum and he's not guaranteed next year. Holmes is on the bench at this point. Like he's not he's not your starter, right? Fox is your guy. He's the one that like that you're making sure knows exactly what he needs to do in every situation and that you have the belief he can do it. And then he showed it at the end of the game. And so I thought that was huge in terms of his growth if he can keep doing that. It shows what we've been wanting from Fox to see that the play on both ends of the court. I love that. And that's an in-game adjustment, accountability, and improvement. We're three games in. So if they're making those types of constant updates in that quick of time, imagine where, I mean, the possibility of where they could be 10, 20, 30 games from now, we could be looking at a whole different team, fingers crossed. Yeah. And so, and Anthony was saying that when he talked to Coach Brown at the end, like he specifically referenced that, like, look what's going on. I mean, right? Like we can do these things in game. That was, didn't matter that he had 30 something points. Like that's what stood out to Brown and that, you know, that, that kind of confidence and that Fox listened to him. Right. And then, and that Fox didn't take it personal, right? He went out, he went out and did it at the end. And that's one of the things that I think too has been different from at least so far through three games. When we've seen guys get held accountable and get pulled, like we've seen TD get pulled, we've seen Barnes get pulled. You know, we've seen these. I, I don't know about Barnes. I can't, I can't talk to that just because he's just not playing well. But and I haven't been watching his mannerisms closely when he gets pulled but i've noticed td a couple times because the camera happens to be on him when it's happening and he always seems to be like nodding yes and saying like i know i know um and but they're having good conversations like brown can hold them accountable can say i need you to do this to be on the court and clearly td wants to be on the court right like he's taking the the constructive criticism and talking about it post game voluntarily, you know, about, you know, what Brown's telling him that he has to fix or that why he was pulled and what he needs to do. But that's something I, you know, I think I talked about the last episode, but we just haven't had that kind of 
self-accountability, like you said, and um, understanding that if a coach is doing that, it's because he cares and he thinks you can do it. I know that's one thing Sam Cassell always said. If I stop yelling at you or like giving you something, then you should be worried because that means I, you know, like I don't see it or I don't believe it anymore. So the fact that, you know, that you're seeing, you know, coaches go into that stuff and the players seemingly accepting it, even being 0-3, like you still see those mindsets of, I know we can do this. They have the belief in me. I have the belief in myself. You know, we can, we've playing good teams, like we can figure it out. And it sucks that they've had, you know, that they're having the schedule they have. That's kind of how, you know, the Sacramento way that there's no easy, easy way to get out of um, these holes. But if you can kind of keep clawing one brick at a time up there that you hope that um, when you come out on the other side, that you have that good foundation of, like they said, the culture and knowing the little things that can help um, change a game, right? Like they have that bell now that they do of um, if you do the little things that if you don't realize it, it can go a long way. And then let's go into, I know you've put up some tweets about kind of overall stat trends that you've seen at least through three games and, and where the Kings are ranking um, in terms of the rest of the league through three games. Yeah. So uh, I think yesterday I put out just kind of a general list of some stats and where they rank and kind of the main ones for offense and defense that I like to use are the offensive rating and the Kings are notoriously bad um, offense and defensive rating. And just everyone knows how bad the Kings defense have been. And all we want is average. And right now, I think as of yesterday, they were at 114.5, uh, which is good for 19th. I think I heard James Ham say that that was now 20. Again, it's very small sample sizes. So these things are going to shift a lot in the next few days. But I mean, if they can stick and stick around those 15 for offense and 19 for defense, um, referencing back to the article I wrote about the combination of those two ratings, they really just need to be under 36. So, uh, and I don't know if you could pull this up really quickly. You might be able mm-hmm. to, but they've played against really good offensive teams, right? And we know that that it's right. Their average right now is around 114. Um, Can you give me where those offenses are? Like, were they above, were the Kings holding them above their average or below their average, if that makes sense? Yeah, so the Warriors are... Compared um, to other teams. Surprisingly, um, in terms of ratings, um, the Warriors are actually 112.6 offensive rating which okay. is good for 15. Uh, uh, the yeah, Trailblazers, that is surprising for them. Yeah. Uh, Trailblazers are 115, so they're the ninth best offense. And the Clippers are towards the bottom. They're at 103. But I feel like the Clippers aren't a high-powered offense as much as some of the other teams, that they rely more on their all-around game. Um, so that doesn't surprise me to see okay. the Clippers down down there but well and they're constantly with their stars without their stars so it's really right. hard to ever get kind of that perspective okay yeah i was just curious if they were holding them kind of around mm-hmm. their their averages through three games okay thank you and for then, pulling that up quickly <laughs> yeah and then some other things that stood out again they're right in the middle with 114 points the kings um 
But some things that were pretty high on the list were assists. 27.3 assists per game is just, that's a huge number for the Kings. I don't remember them being in the high 20s pretty much ever. So seeing the ball movement and really with the offense doesn't feel like it's fully clicked yet. So the fact that they're getting that many assists with an offense that's still in kind of learning mode is a really good sign for me. And then in defense, they're deflections. So they're averaging 19 deflections a game, which was fourth at the time and just shows they're being active with that is the fouls and you get in that game where are they being maybe too aggressive and fouling too much the kind of cost benefit analysis i guess of is it worth it to to be that physical but i mean i love the deflections i think that those will eventually lead to steals and we haven't seen it translate so much to fast break points yet and really allow them to get into transition but i think that that's something that will come with time and they're a team that's built to run. Anyone can grab the ball and go. So just the fact that they're kind of getting those little little things on defense is a good sign. Something that I'd like to see them do more is take more charges. We know that they aren't a good shot blocking team and you have to protect the paint somehow. Um, I don't think they have a charge yet, technically. Um, the charge stat, I don't know exactly. It seems like sometimes it should be a charge, but it doesn't get counted as a stat, but it's just something that we haven't really seen from the whole bell talk. That's one of the things that I know Barnes said he took a charge in practice and they rang the bell. That seems like normally one that Mitchell gets too. (laughs) I know. (laughs) If anyone's going to get it, that's kind of usually his, his realm. Yeah. And that's my pinned tweet is I think he's going to lead the league in charges one day. So I need that one to come through. (laughs) It's going to stay there until he does. Um, But they have to be able to protect the paint kind of one way or another. So if they're not going to block shots, um, then maybe take some charges, um, something to kind of hope for to kind of be on the uptick. Okay. And so, and then to kind of end um, our discussion and show here, we're assuming that Keegan Murray is going to get moved into the starting lineup and we're assuming that it's going to be Casey going out. And so I'm curious, do you have the numbers for Fox um, Herder, Barnes, Keegan, and Sabonis. I think it's probably still a small sample size because Keegan's only played two games, but what has that lineup shown us so far from what we've seen? So in terms of plus or minus, that's actually been their best lineup. So they've played 11 minutes together and they're plus 16 in that total of 11 minutes. So I think play that- it more. <laughs> Yeah, do it more. It's working. It's out there. So let's see it uh, from the get go. Yeah. And and I'm hoping that, you know, teams are going to have to account for Keegan right on on offense, which they're not having to do with KZ right now. And I know Sabonis is getting a lot of double teams, sometimes triple um, because of that. And so you just see how much Keegan Right. He keeps it simple for himself, but he seemingly opens the game up so much more for the guys around him that I really don't think that teams are going to be able to double team a Sabonis. Like, good luck leaving a Keegan or a Kevin Herter, right? Open or Fox right now with the way he's shooting. Barnes, you're hoping that that can get right, can get unlocked, um, and that he's seemingly playing well with Keegan on the court. 
um, and it might lead to making his life a little easier. And so, yeah, we need more than 11 minutes. And I'm excited to see uh, what that lineup does going forward, um, being that, you know, we're seeing it play well during games. And I think it was uh, Sam Vecini today was saying, play that lineup out of the water, like like, play it as much as you Mm -hmm. can, because that's the one thing that you have working for you, especially while the bench seemingly needs to figure, figure itself out. And then it's going to need that benches need needs to figure itself out without Keegan Murray, because he's kind of been holding that up minus one game. We kind of saw a good game from monk, but everyone else's numbers are, are down there. Which is really a surprise. I came into the season really excited about the bench, thinking that they'd be one of the kind of highest bench scoring teams in the league with or without Keegan. I mean, I think Davion showed flashes last year. His catch and shoot numbers were a lot higher than his pull up. So he has the tools. I just don't know if it's rhythm or what. Um, And then, like you said, with Monk, I he's too good to keep this i don't know if we can call it a slump but like you said he ended the third game was a little bit better but he's bound to get going at some point he's just too good to not score um he's a bucket getter yeah and i would say the only thing that keeps me hopeful when it comes to that is they're not losing with those guys playing their average right just even their basic average um Mm -hmm. that if we could have those guys just doing their right their career average that that seemingly would give this team a huge boost and i don't think that's asking very much or you know that unlikely once they kind of at least seem to get familiar with each other coaching you know whatever it ends up having to be because you can only use a new system for so long these guys you know know how to get out there and and know how to play so that part keeps me hopeful is that they're not playing average and losing these games. It's they're playing below their career averages. And you're assuming that they can at least get back to there and they're not playing above their weight. Right. To where you're expecting it to fall back down. The last few years, really in order for the Kings to win, they had to, I don't know if perfect is the best word, but almost have a perfect game from everyone the last few years, which we've seen. I mean, other than Herder and Fox, no one's been, and Keegan, uh, no one's been amazing. So if that I don't think like this team, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think this team has to have everyone play perfect in order to win. If we can get six people on any given night to be average, then there, that should maybe be enough. But I don't know. Well, I guess just have to wait and see. Well said. All right. Thanks, Will, for, for uh, joining me this week. and. Uh... Hopefully the Kings can turn it around Thursday against Memphis. It's going to be a hard task, but um, I'm looking forward to see some fight after so many days off. I will never understand the the NBA scheduling that way where it's like three games of five nights and then like not another game until four days later. And especially but, I'm just itching for more games. It's rude. Right. I know. <laughs> especially after it, it leaves, it leaves Kings fans and Kings Twitter. Like it's like those idle hands where it's like, <laughs> we don't want it. Special thanks to Will for joining me this week. And if you are not already, make sure you give Will a follow on Twitter. Once again, that is Will W I L L Z 
stats on Twitter. You will not be disappointed. He comes up with some really cool stuff. So um, thanks again and be sure to give him a follow. Now, one last thing before we end the episode, I wanted to get back to something I was doing last season, and that was the Jill's water cooler. And so this one's going to be about Joseph Franklin Jumping Joe Folks. He was an American professional basketball player, and he was sometimes called the first of the high-scoring forwards. He also was enshrined in the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 1978. But something interesting about him is that he actually holds the record for the most missed field goals in a regular season game. And if someone was to ask you right now, what do you think the record is for the most missed field goals in a regular season game? What would you say? I'll give you a couple seconds. Give a guess right now. Well, the answer is 40 two missed field goals. He said it during a game against the Providence Steam Rollers. He attempted 55 total field goals and made only 13. He also set the record for the most missed field goals in a postseason game where he missed, give another guess, 38 field goals in a game against the St. Louis Bombers. So it just goes to show you You could hold the record for the most missed field goals in a regular season game and a postseason game and still be a Hall of Famer. As always, thanks for listening. I'm going to be with my family. As most of you know, I have family that lives in Vegas. It's my sister's birthday um, on Friday. So Gracie and I are heading out there this weekend. So this will be my only podcast for the week. And I will be back on either Tuesday or Wednesday next week. And I'll have um, at least, you know, another game to talk about. And uh, we'll get going then. But as always, thanks, guys. Go Kings.